transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. They, they don't want <laughs> crusading journalists looking to bust up cults? I was just trying to go to the night, night baths, but um, we were already in Big Sur and you can't reserve by telephone, which is why I was calling them on the payphone uh, and we didn't have phone service to reserve it on the internet. So it was actually just a very sort of sad near miss. Since everything's relevant. Everything is relevant. On this on this show, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything... I have a sneaking suspicion that everything is relevant all the time in general, which is terrifying. But it is. It is true. And sometimes it takes a, a little strand of RNA mm-hmm. shooting out of people's nostrils to really illustrate the point. <laughs> it really is a tremendous speed. I spent most of today buying, you know, hand sanitizer and frozen vegetables. And it's this, uh, you know, it's sort of an interesting pre-apocalyptic feeling that I hope does not actually come to pass. You're doing it, so you're prepping. I am prepping. I'm prepping a little bit. I've been thinking a lot about the preppers. But, um, you know, I mean, of course, the situation has already already come to pass for so many people. So, yeah. you know, I can make jokes about buying frozen vegetables. But really, it sucks. Like, it's bad. And it's already here, so. Yeah, exactly. It is. I'm not, yeah, I mean, not are you sure just thinking about it all the time? I feel like I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm I not would, sure what to do either. I think I came to some sort of peace yesterday. Mm. It was kind of you know, a little self-convincing, but if it is like it looks like that 40 to 70% of people are going to get this in the next year. And Yeah. 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 Then, you know, what the, What the hell can anybody do? What's the point? I mean, for most of us, it probably won't manifest as anything other than something like the flu. But, or yeah. Or even I'm, not that. There's, there's, a, there's apparently a, a lot of otherwise healthy people who test positive mm-hmm. who've had no symptoms ever. Did you actually... Uh, there was a like a reddit thread going around and i don't know its credibility um of somebody saying that he came back to new york after a trip in asia and he was feeling ill and he went to the doctor and his doctor called the cdc for permission to test him for the coronavirus and they said no uh like they they wouldn't let him get whatever kit it is that they use to test so he just went home and self-quarantined instead oh that sounds seems great. Well. Yeah. Yeah, it seems great. I definitely want to just have to rely on everybody's best judgment. Yeah, because that that is proved so uh, such a winning strategy for us in this past yeah. century. Yeah, we'll we'll end up doing what's best for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to something that I don't know, maybe a year from now. We'll be saying, remember when you could go cover conferences before the mm. the decade-long quarantine? Yeah, yeah. I went to uh, I went to Conscious Life, which is a new age and sort of alternative healing expo here in Los Angeles. Obviously on the other side of town from where I live. I don't live on the new age healing expo side of town. What, what so is took- the, is that the west side, I'm guessing? That would be the west side, yes. 
<laughs> that's that's where that that would happen. So I took four trains and a bus to the healing side of town. Um, Conscious Life has been going on since 2002, I want to say, uh, and then it's it's pre precursor expos that were run by other people have been going on since well before that. There was one called Whole Life before that that went on for quite a while. So you know, it's the it's the best place to see what is sort of new and happening in the world of alternative healing stuff before it hits uh, goop. And then um, it also, unlike every other sort of alternative healing expo, it also has a bunch of UFO stuff, which is what I find so intoxicating. The sort of um, place where those two worlds meet each other is very interesting. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. And it's, uh, I guess there was always something of that mm. in the in the 60s psychedelic kind of era going into the the 70s it was a lot of crossover with consciousness and religion and uh, psychedelics and magic mushrooms yeah yeah there's sort of a place where all those things kind of meet and there's this I wrote about this a little bit but there's this kind of like thread of what I called mystic Christianity that runs through a lot of the UFO stuff it's basically where the UFO stuff meets the angel stuff meets the healing oils type of behavior so (laughs) are you talking about the essential oils that people yeah like I mean not Young Living because Young Living is a little bit too sort of suburban and like basic for this crowd but yeah you know I I don't know a lot about this market let's jump back for a minute because some of our listeners haven't left the desert in a number of years (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and and they may this may be the thing that shocks them into uh, never leaving again. But <laughs> what what is Goop? Um. Wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Goop is the kind of new age lifestyle platform that was launched by Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress. And so it's um a website and it sells stuff. And now they have a TV show on Netflix. Uh, it's all very alarming. They've—it's sort of a mixture of harmless nonsense and like less harmless nonsense—is basically how you could characterize it. So, they're—they're they're selling things. Are they selling? They're what, selling a conferences lot of conferences, or they're selling products. So right now, I, I'm just pulled up the Goop website out of curiosity. So the thing that people have heard about is that she was selling these jade eggs that you're meant to put inside your vagina for toning. But you're not actually meant to put them inside your vagina. It's like For a bad toning? idea. Toning. Toning. Like a, Sorry. Yeah, like a Kegels type thing. But so she got fined a and bunch. Who of the money. hell is Tony? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're we're getting really deep into it now. Um, I, I only know Goop from when it was a newsletter when I still worked for Gawker. It was a newsletter. Yeah, no, it's it's way beyond that now. Um, yeah, they were selling these jade, what they were called jade yoni eggs, a task force made up of prosecutors from a bunch of different counties in California investigated the yoni eggs and found that Goop was making sort of misleading statements about them. Like there was no scientific basis for what they were claiming the yoni eggs could do. Um they said they could balance hormones, regulate menstrual cycles, prevent uterine prolapse, and increase bladder control. They can't do any of those things. They were making medical claims. They were making medical claims. <laughs> Quack on the radio. 
selling. Yeah, you really can't do that. Yeah, yeah, and you're I, not allowed. I assume they got out of it because she's mm-hmm. rich. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they were fined one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars by this task force in California. This government task force. It's like a settlement basically so they they're paying this fine and they're reimbursing customers essentially but you know goop is worth like several hundred million dollars so i don't think it uh is gonna hurt gwyneth too much i wish these attorneys these these uh watchdogs would find out about what's going on out here in joshua tree what's going on in joshua tree sedona oh the the they're making some elaborate claims are they really? Yeah. yeah, I was a little surprised again at Conscious Life. You know, I had somebody telling me that this pine oil blend that he'd put on my tongue was going to clean my pineal gland, which, like, no, I don't think it is, to the best of my knowledge. Have you had it checked? I, You know what? I haven't, honestly. I don't know about the state of my pineal gland right now. Uh, and I actually don't know that I could find out. So you know what? For all I know, it's cleaner than it used to be. Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, Conscious Life is kind of nice because it's like, you know, it's up a lot of sort of goop-level claims, but minus the sort of money and glossiness and celebrity backing. And so for whatever reason, I find it more, less, I find it less irritating. I find it more sympathetic when it's just a bunch of sort of lower-level, significantly odder people. Would you say that the people who go to something like this are... I don't know, more more uh, active and involved in their whatever their their pursuits, their esoteric pursuits than say the the ones who were just buying the really expensive stuff out of online catalogs or are they roughly I would think the same? So. I would think that if you're sitting through you know, multiple panels every day about whether angels are connected to aliens or, you know, preventing amnesia during your reincarnation process or spiritual purification using far red, far infrared saunas. Like those, I, I would guess that you're pretty committed. You're pretty deep in it. How much does it cost for a, hmm. a consumer to go? Uh, day passes are like $40. There's a bunch of different kinds of passes you can get, but then, you know, there are a bunch of special panels that you have to pay uh, more money for. You know, like I went to see this this panel called Ancient Secrets and it was uh, Linda Moulton Howe, who I'm sure you know, and a bunch of people who've been connected with Ancient Aliens, the TV show, and uh, America on Earth. And they all talked about, you know, the cover-up of our true history. And so I had to pay like an extra $15, I think, to learn about the cover-up of our oh. true history. Yeah, yeah. And that was, in, that was, was. in your Vice article. It was, yeah, what, that was a good one. What's the headline of the Vice article so people can look it up? I think it's something like America's biggest New Age expo is just trying to keep things from getting weird. Good. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I missed, I did not see that when it first came out, so I just read it when you were talking about it the other day. Uh, yeah, I, I, I went, well, so I went because I had gone there in 2017 when I was writing my book because my book is about conspiracy theories and a bunch of people that I hope to write about were there, were at Conscious Life. So I wrote about this sort of um, conspiracy element that's always been present at Conscious Life. You know, they, a couple years ago, in, well, not a couple, a few years ago in 2015, they had a conspiracy panel that was like Jim Mars and an Infowars guy. You know, uh, the following year they had a 
anti-vax panel. So there's always been kind of a undercurrent there. But the founder of the expo, Robert Quicksilver, sort of told me that he he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like the conspiracy stuff. He got rid of it. It's not there anymore. But, you know, it is. It is still there. So I was kind of exploring that tension this year about why it is when you have alternative healing and UFO stuff, why some of the darker conspiracy stuff comes in. You know, like there were QAnon guys there this year. Oh. Yeah, they were, I mean, again though, guys who I guess sort of don't want to be affiliated with the proper QAnon movement anymore. It's sort of fracturing the QAnon people. They're kind of going in a lot of different directions. I mean, it's uh, it's like a messianic cult, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, it looks that way to me, but you know, I guess I'm not a, I guess I'm not a cult expert, but certainly to me, QAnon seems like it is premised around a day of judgment that is yet to arrive and like sort of unshakable, somewhat alarming faith in a leader who is said to know all and see all. Uh, right. So that seems, that doesn't seem great to me, but and there have again, been- what do I know? We're speaking tonight on Desert Oracle Radio with Anna Merlin, (laughs) the author of the critically acclaimed book on modern conspiracy theories, Republic of Lies. Did I say it right? Yeah. That was good. Thank you. So you are a knowledgeable person about this stuff. And what struck me about... QAnon, which I have not followed closely because, unlike you, I'm not paid to do that, so... No, there's no reason to do it, really. I don't have to go that far into into that particular lagoon or swamp, no, I guess you could call it. But whenever I have checked in, it's very specific stuff and mm. with specific dates, and then the dates come and go, and... Whenever I see that, I'm reminded of, like, Seventh-day Adventists or Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, who all had uh, in the Great Awakening these deadline days, these days of judgment, and then they Mm. pass, and they got to get around it. I mean, Christianity itself had to deal with that. Right. They got to redo their math. Right, and they have to change the meanings, you know? It's like, well, he's not literally coming back, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, QAnon definitely has a lot of that. And again, like, I'm only sort of paid to follow them, so I I just kind of duck in and out. I'm not like, you know, there are these guys who, like, have a whole podcast just about QAnon stuff and developments in QAnon stuff, and they're very good at it, but I I could never. God help me. Oh, no, you need need some oxygen (laughs) now and then. Uh, I mean, I do my best. I sometimes feel like I am sinking, you know, further and further into something, something else. Uh, It's called QAnon Anonymous, by the way. It's a very good podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's very, it's very fun and good. But yeah, I feel like I have stuffed my brain with so much weird stuff as it is that maybe I should, you know, leave some space for something else, like read a novel occasionally or like open a window. Right. And, and this is something that that happened to you at conscious life mm-hmm. you had a uh, describe it I don't want to put a, a title on your a title on the, th- on the thing yeah. so I should say that I guess I, I didn't have a strong version of the thing at conscious life but I started thinking about the thing and the thing 
is essentially this uh, awareness that I've had sort of periodically throughout my life of this other place. Like I always think of it as, as the other room. That is the terminology I have for it. And sometimes in a sometimes something will happen. I will become aware of this other room, this next room that feels like it is a place beyond my conscious reality, beyond my current reality, and it feels like it is a mysterious place that I don't fully understand, that I can only see sort of through a crack in the door. Um, and where I, I am, I'm, I'm not there and I wouldn't be myself if I were there. It's very hard for me to describe, but it is, it feels like a different plane, a different plane of existence almost. And so I was thinking about it at Conscious Life because as, you know, obviously as skeptical as I am about most things, just by virtue of my job, you know, I also do have this these glimpses of, of the mysterious, I guess I would call them. And I'm very interested in other people's glimpses, you know, which is what, like, High Weirdness, the book, is about, really. It's about three very intense mystical experiences that three very different kind of 70s visionaries had. You know, like, what I'm talking about and what I'm sort of inarticulately trying to talk about is something that a lot of other people have glimpsed, too, in a much more realized form. Yeah. And going into an event like this one that mm-hmm. you were recently at, where even, and I'm convinced, even if you're a true believer in one of the things, you're skeptical mm-hmm. about a bunch of other stuff that you go by. Like, you might be there because you believe, uh, you know, bay leaves will, I don't know, cause reverse aging or something. Sure, and yeah. And that's your There's thing. Reverse aging. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. And you go there and then you walk by like the people who think it's spearmint mm. and you just yeah. kind of like, you know, oh, children. Right. I mean, that is a big thing there. You know, I was thinking about this because there's a bunch of different people who claim to be ascended masters or kind of evolved light beings you know, are something something more than human. It seems to be what they're implying that they are. Right. But when you're in an exhibition hall and there's like five of them and they all have booths, you know, right near each other, surely you have to think at some point like, well, they can't all be ascended masters and light beings and, you know, otherworldly, not quite human creatures. Like that that can't be possible. Yeah, um, and, and if they were, <laughs> I don't know, that seems like the 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 poorest way to to get your your work done to get your message to get your out. message out it does it seems like a, the long way around I guess to stand there in a conference ballroom at the LAX Hilton handing out you know one flyer every fifteen minutes although to... you know I'm reminded of like uh, Paul in hmm. the New Testament he did it he'd go to these markets and at the edge of the market they'd have people preaching the various uh, religions or traditions in these cosmopolitan cities mm-hmm. and now and then he'd go do that and they'd beat the crap out of him huh. and especially if he started off because one of his traditional things was to say look I'm a Jew just like you you know he'd go and talk to a group of Jewish people sure in the in their section of the market on market right. day 
And they'd be like, oh, all right, you know, how you doing? And then he kind of sneaks in the, actually, I'm not anymore, and and then they'd get all pissed off. It's like, come on. They would get mad. Yeah. So they'd stone him and whatever. So I guess they don't stone people at Conscious Life, but I guess if nobody's at your booth, that's kind of the modern... People at Conscious Life are wonderfully open to a wide variety of different ideas, you know, is what I would say. But I mean, I've seen this too in conspiracy communities. You know, there are ideas that seem to me to be very much at odds with each other. And people manage to sort of make space comfortably for a couple different things at once, is how I would put it. Yeah. Which is kind of nice, you know, to run into people and they're just kind of friendly about everything. Yeah, you know, burn sage. Yeah, sure. Queen of the universe, light beings, guardian angels, whatever. A lot of mediums, a lot of mediums. I did run into one of the mediums and I said, you know, what do do you think about all these other mediums here? And he said, I don't think there are any other mediums here. Oh, (laughs) real kind of democratic debate stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, it was very, very similar. Yeah, I ran into the Lemurian Fellowship, who I wasn't familiar with. Mm. They're a mystery school um, in Ramona, California. I don't know where that is. I think they are literally, like, off of a little highway somewhere. But they're uh, Christian mountains mystery school. of San Diego County. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So they, they, teach, uh, they teach whatever it is they teach through a correspondence course, and they were very pleasant. They were all wearing um, matching polo shirts. Oh, how sporty. How San Diego. Very sporty. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I asked them a couple questions, and then they handed me a booklet, and they said, all all the questions you're asking are in the booklet, which, you know, fair enough. Uh, that's, I mean, it's, uh, it, was it true? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. I was absolutely asking really stupid questions. Um, you know, basically they teach that there are teachings in place that can be sort of accessed by this group of wise elders called the elder brothers and you can you can sort of find them through this through this correspondence course so yeah i mean everybody is everybody at conscious life is kind of approaching a version of what i approach sometimes this other room this next place and everybody's other room is a little different and some people have managed to get the door further open than i have but seemingly you know a lot of people are looking for it i mean you said that you had you've had experiences like this throughout your life that they're not something that you can actually call upon or predict when they're going to happen. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, A lot of these schools, the Rosicrucians in San Jose, uh, there's lots of variations on on this kind of theme, Mm. say that you can train yourself to do it and with some simple kind of smoke and mirrors like literally Mm -hmm. candles and mirrors and meditation and that kind of stuff and I don't doubt that other people are able to do that but I'm sure it has not worked that way for me I think I can Mm. convince myself maybe Mm. you know like all right, maybe but it's but it's quite a different thing than when you get blasted with something. Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, that was not there. Right. It was dropped into my head, and now I can't get it out of my mind for 
three years, two weeks, whatever right. it is. Right, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. psychedelics uh, can help, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. So I hear. I didn't have any great luck with that most most of the time. Um, mm. I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was like, yeah. Finally, I did have one through what turned out to be some absurd accidental overdose. And oh, right. You said of LSD? Yeah. Mm. And, and what was it like? Oh, it was... Uh, it was overwhelming. It took a very long time, both in our timeline and some other ones. Mm. And I... Well, I certainly don't remember all of it. I came back with some very clear memories that were real experiences um, mm-hmm. that I remember as as clearly as I can remember anything memorable in my waking life. Right. What kind of memories? Oh, if you're well, comfortable talking about them. I think I wrote about it at some point, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, probably on probably on a blog and nobody read it because they were racing to get to the comments. Yeah, they really probably were. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I had this, this habit at Gawker because I was so bored uh, <laughs> writing about things. And what I would do is I would write about whatever the thing was that was topical. And then mm. by the end... I would just kind of veer off into what I was actually thinking about or reading about or whatever at that time. And it would just go in this total different <laughs> direction. And only very rarely would anyone ever notice. Actually notice. Yeah. yeah. And so I actually read fine. some of your old Gawker blogs a while ago. I don't They were remember. good. Were they? I don't remember. Yeah, they're very good. They're very respectable blogs. <laughs> all I wanted was to be a respectable blogger in this world. You wrote a very good one about Bigfoot that I enjoyed a lot, which was essentially that people really care about Bigfoot and they don't actually give it about, uh, you know, actual wildlife or saving actual wildlife. Oh, did, yeah. I don't remember that. Uh, but it was it's, great. Yeah, uh, I don't remember why I don't remember why I reread them, but yeah. I, uh, well, thank you I for, had a, thank you for yeah. actually reading some of them. You, you're one of the few. I excavated them. I had a friend who was working for a media company who will go unnamed, and she didn't have a lot to do. They didn't really know what what anyone was supposed to be doing at the media company. And so one of her jobs was to write these captions for these videos. She was appearing in these news videos, and then she had to write captions. And the captions were just, or like, they were descriptions in like the YouTube link, you know, YouTube versions of the videos. And the, the descriptions that she wrote were just nonsense. They were just absolutely deranged. And again, like, no one ever noticed. Her bosses never said anything. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever actually saw these videos. They just sort of existed in some other other plane. It didn't like, help uh, us, you know? It did not no, help. No, it didn't help us. It didn't, it didn't fix media. It didn't fix media, and now we have to sit here and talk about our psychedelic experiences on a podcast.
You're listening to Desert Oracle Radio, and this is your host, Ken Lane. Tonight we are having a late night conversation with the author and journalist from New Mexico, the land of enchantment, Anna Merlin. You're listening to Desert Oracle Radio, and this is your host, Ken Lane. <laughs> it was hate, hate streamed. It was a lower hate where I lived. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. 22 years ago, and one of my roommates, we had this fantastic Victorian 
that had uh, five or six bedrooms on the second floor and parlors and dining rooms and kitchens on the uh, ground floor. And it was a a wild neighborhood. It was where all the bars were in that area, Mm. like Mad Dog and the Fog and Tornado and... I like Tornado. I used to go there. It was a, it's a, they were just right there across from each other. On payday, mm-hmm. the Irish used to roll out and just brawl in the street on Friday nights <laughs> in their ties. You know, they all worked at Nestle or something. Of course. Uh, and there were there was Knock Knock, which was kind of right under the house. Oh, I didn't I know that in. one. That was a that was a very groovy kind of underground one. I think like ninety mm. six to about ninety nine. I think. Oh, yeah, that's before my time. That's before I could get into bars. Yeah, it was... Although you probably could have around here, you know. As, as, yeah. As long as you didn't come in, I don't know, bleeding, they'd usually let you in. As like a 10-year-old, do you think that would have been fine? I think so. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> very much like, a, you know, kind of a Jack London kind of thing. Had I known. One of my roommates was a deadhead. Mm. Ooh. Uh, a very sweet guy. And he had in the freezer a bunch of liquid lysergic acid, a bunch of Oof. liquid LSD in, in like eyedropper bottles. Oh boy. And so, because I made a lot of consistently wrong decisions in my life, I was running a news website at the time hmm. out of that house. With, oh boy! With a uh, another guy who also lived there, he'd moved into the house. It was very cheap mm. uh, to live in a place like that. And I bet <laughs> the a house I looked recently because I was walking through the neighborhood when I was up there visiting, and the house next to it, which was similar but not quite as ornate, was renting, I believe, for twelve thousand dollars a month. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know what the total rent was then, but I, I paid 300 a month for my room. <laughs> and God. we had the use of a another room that we used mm. for an office. So mm. we're in there working late at night, and I get sent down to make some drinks. So mm. I go down, and I'm making up some Greyhounds, you know, good, good healthy drink, a lot of vitamin C, yeah. Yeah. a lot of ice for hydration, a little bit of vodka. Sounds great. So I'm making those up, and I'm putting the ice trays back, and one of these little bottles kind of rolls out onto the kitchen floor. Oh, boy. And I pick it up, and I see that the cap was not really put back on all the way. (laughs) So there's this kind of frozen mush around the lid. Oh, boy. And, yeah, it was just one of those nights. I looked at it, and I thought... I wonder if there's anything in there or if it's just like frozen condensation or something. Uh-huh. And so I just ate it and forgot oh, about it. And about, I don't know, 15 minutes later, which is a little quicker than these things usually yeah. you know, work, unless it's DMT or something. Mm-hmm. I'm typing, and I notice that there are... There are kind of like electric rays coming out of my hands. Sure. The strong blog, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of looked over to Charlie, who was working at the other end of the office on his computer. 
And I said, I'm not going to make it. You finish up. <laughs> so apparently, as I'm kind of walking out, he says, what did you do? And I guess I told him. I don't even remember. So, yeah. you know, kindly, about an hour later, he knocks on, or maybe it was five minutes later, he knocks on my bedroom <laughs> door and he leaves me like a pack of cigarettes and a, a liter of water. Very mm. kind. I smoke cigarettes at the time, so. Yeah, at the time. I hope you don't anymore. No, no. I gave, you can eat all the condensed LSD mush you want to, but just don't smoke cigarettes. I gave it up. It was, mm. uh, uh, it was the 90s. Everybody smoked in the 90s. Yeah, even me, and I was six years old. See? Sure I there are. And I want to hear what happened with the LSD. So, myself. okay, so what happened with that was, for the initial part of the experience, I don't physically remember being there. You know, Now and then you read about this stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. someone will say, oh, I felt like I was at some sort of molecular level, or... And, that was very much the case. Although I, I remember parts of it pretty clearly. Oh, yeah. And then coming out of it is when I had eight, ten hours later, is when I had these sort of set piece memories. Mm. And the one in particular went on for what felt like many hours in real time. And possibly that, that was the case because it, it was all night. And it was just such a... I thought it was kind of a stereotypical scene. Mm-hmm. And while it made an impression on me initially, I think in the maybe year or two or three after that, I kind of dismissed it because it seemed kind of... Uh, it seemed like a little too much. You okay. Know, it was like... Uh, it was uh, with, a, with a lot of kind of like ancient themes. Okay. That I found archaic even from from the that standpoint but mm. there were entities okay and there were two of them and okay. there was a whole kind of lesson presentation oh i don't know how nice of them like yeah. a power yeah yeah like that powerpoint yeah mm-hmm. it was th- this is kind of how ridiculous it was is that mm. many years later when uh, one of my kids wanted to watch uh, one of the Marvel movies, Iron Man, like 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago, I guess. I think it was the first one. Well, there's mm. a thing where to show how rich and, and technological Robert Downey Jr. is, they've got <laughs> all these kind of make-believe display screens. Right. And there's one that kind of fills a, a conference room or a control room. I don't know. I don't Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that, and I had just about fallen asleep, as I always do in Marvel movies. So do I. It's like a time for a nap, you know? It's a great time for a nap. I've had incredibly luxurious naps in a variety of, of very expensive movies. Uh, a movie theater with good seats. Yeah. It's kind of like listening to one of those uh, machines that makes it sound like waves or something it's except it's explosions i love it it's yeah. really you know i i can be a i can be a supportive partner and also take you know a solid three hour midday nap in a bucket of popcorn you don't get that too much in this world you don't <laughs> so it was something like one of those big stretched out kind of screens that you could touch but your hands went through it uh-huh uh-huh and it was something like this, but it had no 
It had no uh, uh, gadgetry or anything. It just appeared to be kind of a window in, in reality or something. Okay. And <laughs> it had, the two of them did not speak verbally. Right. You look at them and they were speaking to you and what you could understand. Right. But they did not like talk, which is apparently something consistent with these with kinds UFO of encounters. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and with it's... with you know, gods and angels and everything else, you know. Like yeah. The voices in your head. Right. Yeah, and you're able to communicate telepathically, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they they communicate with you rather, and sometimes you can communicate with them. Yeah. So that's what. Yeah. They, so it was like that. And I had spent much of the that decade working in, in Central Europe and Eastern Europe and these areas that were always on the verge of civil war or actual war like Kosovo or uh, Slovakia and Czech Republic. Mm. You know, these were some places where I worked. And it always seemed, maybe it's just kind of from being dumb and... and knowing less and being younger or whatever Mm. but it always seemed not just to me but to all of the reporters i knew that the these obsessions with like these battles that happened 800 years ago you know where no one was within 15 generations of knowing anyone who was alive at the time right but these were the reasons that would be brought up in these uh ethnic struggles and these political battles and these national splits and these civil wars Mm. and they would sort of direct me to kind of touch this kind of like map you'd see this whole scene like this historical scene and Mm. generally it was incredibly mundane like you'd be looking i don't see anything and then in the distance (laughs) you'd see like two people walking or something right or and then other ones were very dramatic you know, like mm. it would open up and there'd be some some plane in the Balkans or something and there'd be, you know, cavalry on horses and stuff. And it was it wasn't representational. It was like you were looking at it huh. from from above or from just outside or something. To the point that years later when I go through history books that cover anything that I remembered from that, I'd kind of stop at the pictures and illustrations and think, nah, it didn't look like that. Didn't look like that. That looks so fake. So basically they like they hijacked your consciousness and showed you sort of a a presentation about world history. <laughs> Yeah, except not really, not informational, though, really. It was, but it was just this sense of that time and things that people were doing in time were not exclusive to one time. It was, it was like this explanation that time wasn't linear. And for a while, I I wondered what, what even is, what's the point there? Because Mm. uh, we know theoretically that time doesn't have to go just in one direction but that's how it happens to go for us so who cares you know but what i noticed is a couple of years later i started becoming aware that i was uh getting intuitions and the intuitions were future and i think i started maybe i'd had them before and i didn't really pay much attention to them or they were more buried and there's been a remarkable amount of writing about intuition, considering yeah. none of us really knows how it works. 
Right. But there are, there's, you can do kind of cover things for your intuition if you're not superstitious. Like, you know, the whole gut thing. Like, oh, my gut stomach kind of hurts. I don't think I want to yeah. go in there. And right. then you leave and the building explodes, you know. Like, well, right. Your stomach was fine, but you had to have a physical excuse to listen to your gut. Right. So that's about the most sense I've been able to make out of those those kind of vision teaching kind of things is that when those things started coming up over the past 20 years I tended to pay attention to them and not be dismissive because you had seen them before and you understood that maybe they had a context that you weren't aware of at the time well that was very considerate of them I think so yeah and I wonder you know uh how much of that is chemical and whether or not the McKenna brothers believe that the chemicals mm. would kind of bulldoze open some some uh, parts of your brain that modern society has closed off. Right. But when you're talking about this other room, yeah. what are their experiences associated with it? I would say that it is more that I become aware that the room exists at various times. We talked about this a little bit on the social media, but I become aware of it when I'm looking at... I have this book of symbols. It's like a Toshin book, you know, it's an art book. So it's about different kinds of symbolism, like ladders or doors or the symbolism of different colors. And occasionally I'll become aware that some symbol is recurring a lot in my life you know, that it just keeps showing up. Like for years it was roses. And then for a while after that, it was thistles. I was seeing, seeing thistles everywhere. And so sometimes when I'm looking at that book of symbols and I see the ways that those symbols kind of apply to me, uh, I become aware that maybe there's something working someplace else or somewhere outside of me that I don't quite understand. I think the other room is also just a sense of, of just something mysterious that I don't quite know what it is yet. And it is a place where I can't, where I can't go. I can only sort of stand on the hill and see it from a ways off yeah. the best that I can describe it, you know, and I don't have any hope of ever getting there. But I mean, I, my sort of awareness of it is triggered by weird things. You know, like I did start, I did start meditating a few years ago. It does sort of, again, make me aware that the other room is there meditation, but meditation also just went, as soon as I started meditating, I started seeing really strange sort of images that I don't know if they have any symbolism or not, but that's what started happening pretty much as soon as I started doing it, is I just started getting this flood of different kinds of images. What um, any you want to share? So some of them are from my childhood. Some of them are this field next to a river I spent a lot of time in as a kid and that I still go to when I am home that is sort of, I always see it at sunset for whatever reason, and I don't know why I get taken back there so much. But the other is sort of, um, uh, you know, I had one where I became aware of the roof of my mouth as the, the roof of a cathedral. Oh. And those two things start, started to seem sort of the same to me. So it was almost like my sense of, of scale changed and became both dramatically larger and dramatically smaller than in my normal life. Or I became aware that my, my breath was exactly like the wind through the trees. Again, like these sound like sort of extremely boilerplate sort of stoned musings of somebody who is on a lot of psychedelics, only they didn't happen when I was on psychedelics. Right. <laughs> they just sort of happened. But mostly I think that I become aware of this other place as a way to remind me that there is stuff that is uncanny and unknown and unseen and things that I can't quite touch. And it prevents me from being impatient or snarky when other people talk about theirs. 
and it makes me more sympathetic to people who are who are seekers than I might otherwise be. Yeah, which which you is know? good to have empathy for what is a a, a very uh, common, although mm. always exceptional to the individual, but a very common pursuit, the pursuit of, of meaning, of uh, worth, of, of existence outside of whatever it is we have to do for so much of the time, you know? And I mean, existence outside of the self also is how I think of it. Because as I said, like the other room is not a place where I am and it's not a place where I would exist as, as I am now, as Anna. You know, so I do think that we, we get shown these, maybe what we're talking about is this experience of the the collective unconscious, you know, and I'm just being obnoxious and not finding the right terminology to describe it, even though the terminology already exists. Well, but the meaning of these terms, the meanings aren't consistent over time. They, they change with who's using them and how much they're <laughs> used. Mm -hmm. So while there was a very uh, therapeutic idea from the Austrians that there was a collective consciousness. Uh -huh. Then it sort of dropped out of you know, favor, out of kind of intellectual bohemian elite. And yeah. then this stuff has kind of come back into culture again. Right. And this idea that you can glean something about this collective unconscious place from, from dreams or from imagination or from symbols that recur in your life that you can, or, you know, symbolism, Jungian symbolism, that you can find it or find glimpses of it somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's the clinical Jungian approach to, well, it it exists, we can call it collective because it's a shared kind of reservoir of picture ideas and things like that. But then yeah. there's the more mystical part, which the private Carl Jung was very interested in. Yes. Which is that the collective conscious, consciousness, collective unconscious, whatever term you want to use, is actually a way to access data outside of your time. Mm where all things in one form or another have either exist in the future or exist in the past and that you can get glimpses of these things. So it's not just a... Things can come out of it. And yeah. the things that come out of it are so personalized because they have to be interpreted by the individual that it's often hard to make much sense of them and then occasionally people get driven absolutely nuts by it. <laughs> they do. Yeah, your Ezekiels and Isaiahs, you know, the, these people who really just kind of lose it because they can't turn off the flow of whatever this, this information that they're receiving is. Right, from somewhere else. I mean, and that's also kind of the idea behind the, the Akashic Records is that there exists somewhere this compendium of all the knowledge that ever was or will be, and that you can access it if you, you know, whatever, clean your pineal gland, or what, whatever it is. Right. And yeah. But it's it's common to all the the mystery schools. It's mm. uh, when you're a Rosicrucian, which I never finished, but I, right. I read all the material and I did do the, the like spiritual exercises and stuff for over a while. You're not supposed to talk mm. about the specifics. Got uh, it, okay. 
I no, won't ask. I think it's mostly just because any sort of thing based on initiation is supposed to have some things that they kind of roll out gently to not freak you out. Right. Pretty much any kind of uh, OTO, mystical tradition, sure. that I've found to be shocking or surprising or anything and I think the only people it would surprise is maybe the only uh, people it would surprise is maybe uh, people from a time when everybody was from Christian a time when everybody was mm-hmm, Christian mm-hmm. or something when right. the whole romantic thing comes up and they embrace all the, the old gods and the pagan stuff and they loved it yeah they loved it but it was also shocking because like you could show breasts and that was very anti-Victorian and it was all kind of wild even though they were sitting there on, on quilts drinking tea you know at picnics and whatever they were I mean I think it was all just an excuse to have orgies but that's also fine so the Rosicrucians didn't do it for you though well I I didn't disagree with any of it. Sure. I just, I think this stuff has to be reborn constantly because it's, it's too weighted down with the culture of the time when the materials were, were presented. So for the Rosicrucian Order, they started publishing about a century ago, I think, from San Jose. And then there were other orders before that, and they kind of... Right. And it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's it's, I don't know. It's not mystical in its presentation to me. But a point right. that they make, and that's common to all these things, is that there is a, uh, um, a kind of sanctuary in time and space mm. that we can access. And when you're there, you're kind of in this wild data stream that ignores the constraints of time. Yeah. And you are able to go into this kind of non-physical realm and that there's really data running through it. I think that's that's their point and most of the mystery school's point. Yeah, and, there is. Yeah. And I I believe it. But it's, uh, mm. you know, I've had ridiculous intuitions about specific historical things. I've written them down. I've shared them with people. And then sometime later, they happen. Wow. And it's you know one of the big ones personally for me was Occupy Wall Street. I just had these dreams wow. and visions for I don't know weeks. The December before 2010. Wow. And they kind of wouldn't leave me alone. And I thought, well, God, I guess that's inspiration. So I wrote a little novel from it. Wow. And I you know which is supposed to be a common thing with being creative, but when you actually try I to be so. creative, you find out it doesn't happen quite. <laughs> quite no, so easy know. most of the times this one did this one was like sit down we're dictating I was like, all right wow and so i wrote the whole thing like that like kind of in a trance you know was, uh, i've had that maybe maybe half had that you know once twice at most that's really special it was it was interesting it was uh the most interesting part i think was when some of our mutual New York comrades started <laughs> posting on Twitter when Occupy Wall Street started. Right. And there was a day or two where it kind of went from scorn to, yes. oh, something's going on here. And that's when something's they. Happening. Right. And that's when they occupied Zuccotti. Mm hmm. And yeah. when I saw those first pictures at night of that rectangular concrete thing, all those people in there and the walls of the. Wall Street buildings on either side. 
you know, it was like seeing a picture of an old friend. Like, Good God, that's sure, it. I didn't know where it was. I said it in L.A. Wow. Those scenes. The, the book oh. Dignity is what I'm talking about. Uh, and I said it in L.A., and then the aftermath of that, they're in the Mojave Desert. So it's... Oh, I want to read that. It's, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to think. But people liked it. <laughs> Some people liked it. Um, it. It was honest. That's about the most I can say for it. I would like to see that. But it was, uh, as soon as I saw that, I thought, Jesus, I got to go. That's the place. Mm. I got to go. So I was out there a few days later and stayed for 10 days. And uh, right after I had to come back, Bloomberg had his urban assault military units come Mm. in and ran everybody out of town. But, Mm -hmm. you know, or back to whatever dorms or wherever they come out of. And... Of course, now we're we're still playing that whole scene out because the result of that was the whole Green New Deal, Democratic Socialist thing. And then you have Bloomberg back, too. It's beautiful. I mean, everything old is new again. Yeah, especially old people. That's true. Absolutely. That was... And that's one I'll admit to because everybody knows it happened and since the book was published six months before Occupy, I can say, yeah, I mean, dismiss it or not. But I think millions of people got blasted with that same thing. Interesting, that same sort of preview. Yeah, and that's why it... Because you've covered a million events that are supposed to be a protest or something. Half the time, nobody shows up. And usually when people do show up, it's very, like, work-a-day. All right, set up our tables, and then we'll... Absolutely. We'll leave when we're asked. Right. You only get these kind of things, like, every decade or so in America. Yeah. Yeah, it's rarely sort of touched with whatever whatever we want to call it. Magic. Um, Magic. Yeah, I mean, that is how it felt. I was there, I was living in Texas at the time, but I was there for that first march over the bridge where the cops ended up corralling everybody, sort of kettling everybody on the lower level of the bridge and arresting a bunch of people, you know, which got a lot of attention. But it, um, yeah, it felt like something else. It felt like something different even then. And then, of course, the the might of the real world can usually kind of stomp out that sort of romantic stuff that swells up every now and then, at least for a while. Right. What do you think about physical places to kind of help open up those windows or doors? That's a good question. Like, you know, if do I think that people have better access to those places in what, like Sedona or something? (laughs) Anything like that. Yeah, it could be. uh, I mean, for me, I usually think about wild places, you know, like Muir said, the Sierras were the cathedrals of the West. I guess as a, as a person from Santa Fe, sometimes I'm allergic to that idea because whenever somebody tries to tell me that some place sits on top of a ley line or something, you know, and that's why it is, is a, a receptive spiritually, I just, I get, you know, <laughs> I get angry. Uh-huh. But, are, you know. Are they wrong? No, yes, they're wrong about Santa Fe sitting on top of a ley line. I don't know. It seems like everything sits on top of a ley line. 